So, Spencer. Yes? You see about this? You hear about this? Barnes & Noble, in a very tone-deaf move, <laughs> their, I don't know, their fifth, av- Barnes & Noble Fifth Avenue decided what they're going to do is relaunch a bunch of classic novels, but with diversity covers. So, they're going to have all... <laughs> like like so- Black Peter Pan or something? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, they have Treasure Island, but they got the fucking, you know, a black man as the captain, I guess, and... Yeah, who else can you point out on there? Uh, Moby Dick, Captain Ahab, yeah. and like they, what a dumb move! Why would you think that just changing the cover? Yeah, changing the race of the characters on the book covers would do anything to promote diversity when it's the content of the book. Yeah. If anything, why wouldn't you promote books from people of color? Like Wait, Langston Hughes yeah. or Toni Morrison or like, why wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be what you're promoting? No, you're gonna relaunch, <laughs> like, which depending on how far back you go, could and what book you do could very be, you know, racist or or controversial in the subject matter. Like, could you imagine them doing that with like Huckleberry Finn or something like that? Yeah, that that wouldn't be good. Well, for instance, just off of because this is a cropped out photo, there's a Black Frankenstein. That seems like... That makes it worse. Like, you know what I mean? Well, is his head just black or is his whole thing black? Because he's just cobbled together body parts. Yeah. We have black Romeo and Juliet. Black Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. And she's very stereotypical. Like, it looks uh, like she had... It's hard to see. It looks like she has either braids or dreads or some something going on. We have... Uh, this is an interesting one. It looks like an Indian Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dude, that one could be cool. Well, again, though, this is the thing. It's not the, the cover. If, yeah, if the stories were about a black Frankenstein. Yeah, or, that would be kind of yeah, cool. Indian, you... Dr. Jekyll. You could do a lot with that. Like, have people of color rewrite these stories. I mean, not rewrite the actual. Like, I don't know how you'd consider doing that without getting into, you know, the murky waters of well, copyright and stuff. Well, but if, well, with all that stuff, though, like Frankenstein and Dracula. Reimagining. Yeah, reimagining because, like, a lot of that stuff fall, is probably falling into, like, public domain, like, you know, or, like, an estate or whatever, you know. I'm sure that they would be, if, you know, if they were smart, they would play along with that. Right. I mean, the secret garden looks like an, it's hard to see, maybe an Asian character, an Asian girl. Uh, well, and and like that's the thing too. You have to um, if you were to do something like that, like um, like most of those that we just went through were of being characters being turned into just black characters. Yeah, you know, there's also like the you know Asian characters or the Indian characters. You know, there's you know a whole bunch of the different races that you you know you need to represent if you're going to represent something. Well, if you're going with diversity, but again, why just the cover? That's that's the bonehead thing about it because these covers do look kind of cool. If the story was about, like, like, okay, here's Alice in Wonderland. This looks like either, it's hard to tell because she has, like, a head wrap. She has, like, an Indian, uh, no, maybe Native. She looks like a Native American, but her skin's real dark, so I'm not sure what race that's supposed to be. But if you go into Alice in Wonderland and you see that cover, say you actually got a kid who went in there, ooh, Alice in Wonderland, but then never actually, like, saw the movies or read the story. So they get this book. With the diverse character on the cover, start reading it. I was like, well, "Why is she blonde hair, blue eyes? That doesn't yeah. make sense." You're gonna be like, "Oh, this is fucking stupid." It's 
It doesn't make any sense why they did. They do have Peter. Oh, the Peter Pan is bad, dude. Oh yeah. Oh, look at it. Look at it. Like, what is that? Oh yeah, that's that's weird. That looks like oh, like it's it looks. I don't. I can't even tell if it's a black woman or a black boy. It's very long, like long and lanky, kind of slender manish, but it has the fucking like this froed out awful hair. Like, who is this supposed to represent? These these are terrible. Like, why would they why would they come out with that? It doesn't make any sense. I I it didn't say like I didn't read the article. I don't even know if there's an actual article about why they did that. I assumed it was for Black History Month, but they're just going to uh, yeah, they're just to promote diversity. So a collection of classic books with new culturally diverse covers will make their debut at New York City largest books. So it's just the New York Fifth Avenue Barnes and Noble. This yeah. is a Barnes and Noble countrywide. I don't see who would sign off on this. Oh, uh, could you imagine the ones like in the South? <laughs> they probably wouldn't go. Well, there. I mean, nah, no, they're not even reading that much. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say something along that line. Yeah, you know, there's just like some fucking middle-aged white lady. He's like, yeah. you know what? This is the move or some ad exec or something. It's like, this, we're going to promote diversity. People are going to love these covers. Oh, we'll get some art. I don't even know if they had people of color do the art covers. No, probably not. It didn't look like it. Like, they look like generic, like, digital art. So, I I, don't, I, I can't tell, but uh, here's the... And, like, were those the finished covers? Yeah. Oh. They're out. They're out. Oh. So they did Alice in Wonderland, Romeo and Juliet, Three Musketeers, Moby Dick, The Secret Garden, The Count of Monte Cristo, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, Emma, The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Treasure Island, and Frankenstein. Here's what I, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. That's Spanish, right? I think so. I believe I haven't read that yet. It's on my to read list, but I think I'm some European. I think it's Spain. Who do they? Because that wasn't one of the ones that you can see the cover of. But who do they have representing, uh, like yeah. the, the the three musketeers? I hope I hope they have pictures. Hold on, let me look. They do not. Would they just have three black musketeers? Because that doesn't seem like that would make sense for the time period in like Spain. Yeah, <laughs> like because it was like seventeen hundreds or something. I don't know. Um, Twitter was an uproar about that. I just thought it was funny. It's like what a tone deaf move yeah. to think that would be take off. Instead of, you know, promoting, like, Invisible Man or Native Son, any, like, Maya Angelou's poetry books, anything, that's what you go with. And it doesn't even just have to be, like, African-American authors. They could have done, like you said, Indian authors, Asian authors, like, if they're just going for diversity. you could. Pr- there's so many quality books out there that you could have promoted for this that would even fall under the classic category. Yeah. And instead, you're just like... Man, we have the licenses for these. Let's just rehash these old ones with different covers. Uh, I wonder who's buying those. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'm not even... Who's the guys like, I gotta collect these yeah. ones? Yeah, so apparently nobody seemed to enjoy those. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> like, I really wish they would have just went all out. Like, who, who... If you were just gonna diversify some random characters in history, who'd you go with? I'm going with, uh... Ooh. Ooh, that's gonna put us in murky water. But it was already a movie. Blackula? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just have, like, a real cool-looking... Does it have to be fictional, or can it be... Well, it's got to be Dracula, mm-hmm. but there's just it's going to be reimagined. No, but when you said, like, like any character to, like... Yeah, a fictional character. A fictional character. 
Why? Do you want to change, like, the actual author's diversity? Well, no, I was just going to say, like, if somebody did, like, you know, did a story and they changed and it was like, you know... Abraham Lincoln's a black man now. Like, that'd be uh, weird. That'd be a different kind That of... would change the whole Civil War debate. Yeah. Like, that's... That would be a unique story. Yeah, just have, like, a... An Hermes Hemingway walking around with a dashiki. Or F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald with, like, the, uh... Uh, like, full-on American Indian garb or something. Like, I mean, like, if you can have, like... Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Like, there should be stories of, like... What if... So-and-so was, like, a man or a female or, you know, a different race or whatever. And just write, like, a, an alternate history kind of thing. That could be... I'm surprised, like I said, I've never heard of it. Like, Thomas Jefferson, I think, had, like, 36 black kids. So you Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. you think, like, they somebody write some stories about them. Yeah. Go ahead and call me out if I'm incorrect <laughs> on this. But I'm pretty sure Sherman Helmsley on the Jeffersons said something about his great great granddad <laughs> or somebody being Thomas Jefferson. Like I'm pretty sure that was in the episode from what I remember. And I think he was talking. It sounds like something he would say. Yeah, when he was talking to the, the stupid English neighbor guy that he always called a dirty honky. Uh, that was such a great show. That was one of my favorite shows. And uh, did you like it better than All in the Family? Yeah, yeah. Because well, that's what... where George Jefferson came from. Yeah. That's why I was asking if you, because it's spun out of that. See, my problem with All in the Family, uh, Sally Struthers annoyed me, and then I wasn't a big fan of Meathead. Like, Rob Reiner. I don't, we, I, you weren't supposed to, it, I think. Yeah, but they just, like, they got a lot of airtime, and, they, like, I, uh, I, was, I was more of the Jeffersons. I just remember watching, watching All in the Family, like, on reruns on, like, you know, like, um, Nickelodeon or something, or something like that. Like, wait, like, why, why am I watching this? Like, can you imagine letting a kid watch that now? It was really weird, yeah, because I grew up watching all the Nick and Night shows, like yeah. you probably did, where after all the cartoons and all that shit, it was, because now it's like TV Land or something. Yeah. But they had All in the Family. Uh, I think, like, one of the newest shows at the time was, um, uh, Happy Days. Yeah. Like, that was one of the and newer like, ones. And, you know, like, I Love Lucy's and yeah, all, they, like, all that stuff. I remember Happy Days. Like, I was in on the Happy Days whenever I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I had, like, I remember, like, episodes where I would, like, I'd just be sitting in my living room wearing a little jacket for no reason. <laughs> just watching the happy reruns of the Happy Days. I think Happy Days was my favorite. The Jeffersons, All in the Family. Sanford and Son was hilarious. I didn't care for the Beverly Hillbillies. No. I, uh... What was, what was that show called with, uh... Dynamite, J.J. Walker. Oh, um... Not Different Strokes. That was Gary no. Coleman. Which I didn't care for that show either. Uh, yeah, because... Oh, what the fuck was the name of that show? It had, uh... Paul Mooney, right? I think so, yeah. Uh... Yeah, because then when he died, it was, like, real, real sad. Jan Jackson was on that show. Why well, can't I remember everybody on the show? But I can't remember the name of the show, uh... Our, our listeners are going to be yelling at me. Except for the Australian one. I don't know if they watch those shows. Um, you know what I was like? Mary Tyler Moore for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. I just like, I think his name was Lou. Was he the, the editor of the newspaper or whatever? So, and he yeah. just always was angry. And he like didn't age. I like that. And then the spinoff, Rhoda. I don't know if I... Re- I don't know why. It was really stupid. And Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. That was another dumb one. But I mean, when are you going to have a guy called the Big Ragu in your life? <laughs> <laughs> and Lenny and Squiggy. Creepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should get this episode started, huh? Uh, reminiscing about the old days. Um, Wonder Years? Fucking quality show, man. Yeah. Some Paul Pfeiffer, Winnie action. 
Paul Pfeiffer never got the chicks. I felt bad yeah. for him. He was like a nerd. Everybody said he was Marilyn Manson, but he's not. <laughs> he like looks way better than Marilyn Manson does now. That guy, forget his name. Oh, he looks. Uh, Marilyn Manson looks weird. Now. Yeah, I mean, he always had his weird thing going, but like now it's. Just, he's like old age, like. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it drive me nuts not being able to remember the name of that show. It was like one, it was one of those shows I didn't like. I never caught that often. It wasn't always on Nick at Night. It was like on another channel. Good times, good times. Yeah, how could I forget? Because you know the Chappelle show, and they were doing the the most. Uh, it was like the most controversial of all good time lyrics, and they were trying to figure out what it was, and uh, it was hanging in a chow line. Oh yeah, <laughs> but like nobody could figure it out. Yeah, good times. Hey there, party people. You're listening to the DPW Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me, as always, Spencer, the Burmese bad boy church. Yeah. I just thought of that. I don't even necessarily know what Burmese is. I like it. I I think with a name like that, anytime I enter a room... Um, fireworks should be going off. <laughs> Something. I think that's a Asian country. Lights should be flashing. Is it Burma? Hmm. Sometimes my geography, I know places, but I don't know them. You know what I mean? You smell me? Yep. You feel me? Mm. Oh, Myanmar. That ain't right. Yeah. Myanmar. Formerly known as Burma. Okay, I guess you're the Bangladeshian bad boy. Sorry. Changed it up. Um, today, we are talking about 26 must-read books by black authors. Now, we covered African authors in the past to a wonderful fanfare, so uh, this time we decided we're going to talk about some books that I've at least actually read, so uh, hopefully this will steer us in the right direction yeah. a little more. This is from, this is from Early Bird Books. So if you want to check this out, go to earlybirdbooks.com. I'll put that in the show notes for you. Now, this article is written by one Olivia Mason and Katie Norman. I say that because it just dropped February 4th. It's a new article for once. Oh, nice. That's very rare. I found an updated thing. So, kick things off. How many did I say? 26. One boy. Just seeing how many of these I've read. There's a lot we need to read on here, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, well, there's there's some I have I just haven't got to yet. My fucking pile's too big. Uh, the first one on this list, it's not in any particular order, I guess, is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. I heard this was really good. Uh, didn't this one like a Pulitzer or something, I think? Let me see. Many African-American books tackle the difficult topic of slavery, but few do it with the magic and grace of Colson Whitehead. A recent Pulitzer Prize winner and National Book Award winner, the novel follows Cora, a young slave on the Georgia cotton plantation. Cora sees an opportunity escaped on the Underground Railroad and takes it. In this novel, the Underground Railroad is not just a metaphor. There are literal tracks in tunnels under the earth, and at each stop along the way, Cora encounters uncanny facsimiles of her own world. I, uh... Facsimiles? Facsimiles. I, uh... I remember... 
think it was only like last year or something I was reading about this book and I wanted to put it on our uh, before we decided to just do indie authors I wanted to put it on our book of the month list but then you know we changed it up um, but yeah this is another one I need to get to reading actually also folks if you uh, haven't clicked on the link in the show notes go to this uh, article you can it has a list of places you can buy these books yeah so, de- yeah, so cool. de- definitely check that out uh, next up is Beloved by Toni Morrison. She's another author I haven't got to yet, but I heard her work was really good. She just passed away recently, which is sad. Nobel Prize winner Toni Morrison has broken the mold a few times over the, with novels like Song of Solomon, Sula, and The Bluest Eye, all of which are well worth reading. But her most celebrated work is her Pulitzer Prize winning novel, Beloved. The first in a trilogy, the novel was followed by Jazz in Paradise. Beloved was inspired by the life of Margaret Gardner. An African-American woman who escaped her slavers in Kentucky in 1856. As the novel unfolds, readers learn about the haunting tragedies plaguing Sethe, a woman who similarly escaped slavery and must figure out how to deal with the scars it left behind. One reason I haven't gotten to this book yet is because like, it's a part of a trilogy. Yeah. And I have a damn problem getting into series because then I, you know, the way, the type of reader I am, I'm like real chronological. Yeah. I have to like... Oh, I read the. It's like comics. I read the first one. If I have them all, I'm going to read them all. Yeah. And that's, I get burnt out a lot with that. Sometimes I just get burnt out with the author's style of writing or just the story itself, and I need a break. But then when I get a break and I decide to read something else, it takes me forever to get back to finish. Yeah, like that Yukio Mishima uh, tetralogy I've been reading. It takes me forever. I'm only on the third book now. I didn't even start it yet because it takes me forever to get back to it because they're so long and. You know, that classic literature. Well, at least if it's, like, something with that, like, you know, um, it's only three. Like, I don't know, like, it's, I couldn't imagine getting into, like, an ongoing book series. Like a Harry I, Potter, even. Well, or, like, like, yeah, Game of Thrones would suck. Well, I mean, even that, that that's, like, six, because, like, I read The Dark Tower, and that was seven, um, you know, that was seven volumes. Or seven Maybe, like, books. The Expanse. That are, I'm just thinking, like, you know, you see, like, a lot of these more, like, indie guys, they have, like, 15, 16 books in a series, or, you know, you see, you see that a lot with, like, the like the sci-fi stuff, you know? Well, to divert from this conversation just a bit, how do you feel about, when it comes to something, say, an indie author, even a mainstream author, when you just found that author, and you're like, ooh, this book's really good, and you start reading it, and you know it's a part of a series, but then... Would you feel better if the series wasn't done and you could catch up and then you can go along with it? Or would you rather have the series be all the way done and then you can just – like you said you done. got into the Dark Tower. You got yeah. into it when it was all done. Yeah. But done. what if it's like a fucking 20 plus uh, – like a Dune series? Yeah. Would you be like, this mountain's too big. I don't want to climb yeah, it. Because yeah. I feel like that would be me. That's why I haven't read The Expanse. It's like nine, ten books in. I'm like, especially like those books are so big. Yeah, they're I'm not so saying, big. Like, that mountain is too big for me to climb. It'd I can the, do it, but I don't want to. It'd be like that one lady who does all like the those books that have like a number in it, like in the title, like Jillian or Jen, something like that. Yeah, and like, but like those seem like a, like. Like three to four hundred pages, like not like almost a thousand page a book. <sighs> those are rough. A lot of those fantasy books are like that too. I think. Next up, Twelve Years a Slave by Solomon Northup, a contemporary of Uncle Tom's Cabin. This harrowing true story was a bestseller in eighteen fifty three. That's uh 
That's a cool fact right there. That was a bestseller in 1853. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize it was that old. Well, yeah. Was, you know, he was a slave, obviously. Uh-huh. But um, you ever see the movie? No. The movie actually made me buy the book because it was such a good fucking movie. Like, that was... I mean, it's a hard watch, but that's, like, one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah, but just the fact that that was a bestseller in 1853, like, you figure... People, even with that kind of story, weren't buying, you know, African-American literature that much back then. If there probably wasn't even that many African-American writers. Then you'd have to be one of the first, you'd think. Yeah, I mean, there there definitely wasn't that many. Um, I mean, he was a northerner, but, well, here, we'll get to the synopsis. It returned to the public consciousness in the 1960s and again in 2013 when the Academy Award-winning film was released. The memoir of a free black man who was tricked and sold into slavery is a shocking, unforgettable insight into one of the bleakest periods in American history. Yeah, it was just so fucked up how they got him, too. They just, because he was a free man. He was a northerner. And he, he got, uh, like, they tricked him. And then he spent 12 years as a slave in the South, even though he was supposed to be a free man. So he was, like, super articulate and educated. And he didn't fit in with the slaves, obviously, because he wasn't a slave when he he got there and it's just it was i mean if you like the movie i, I would check out the book i have a we're going back to the, our intro an actual good barnes and noble edition or something yeah. i got a nice barnes and noble uh, leatherback edition of it next up the third life of grange copeland by alice walker we adore the color purple but alice walker has written a lot more books worth reading see i only know for for the color purple so that's a uh, it's always interesting when you find out somebody who's, like, most famous work might not even been their best work. Yeah. Set against the backdrop of 1930s Georgia, the novel follows its normal hero throughout the acts of his life. He begins as a husband, father, and maltreated sharecropper who, desperate to start anew, then flees to the north without explanation. Humiliation eventually drives Grange back to the south, where he's confronted by what has changed in his absence. A frightening account of racism and violence, The Third Life of Grange Copeland is also a novel about identity, family, and the true meaning of home. That that was a common theme then, too, in the 30s. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that on some of the other ones on here, but uh, a lot of um, like black people in the 20s, 30s, and even 40s who, even though they were free... Because, you know, slavery ended in the 1800s, so they were technically free, but they lived in the South, so you you don't yeah. have the same laws. It's like, you're definitely a lesser citizen, you're treated like a lesser person, or even not, not like a person. And then when they would go somewhere up north, they didn't necessarily fit in with the northerners, and it was just a real fucking squirrely time. Because you go to, like, Chicago, for instance, back then, like the 30s, yeah, Chicago was, a you know, always like a, you know, free north state, but... The whole cities are separated. I mean, even now they're kind of still separated. You have just straight black neighborhoods, yeah. and they're usually impoverished neighborhoods. Uh, and back then, though, it was way worse. They always re- relegated. Though you know, the whites got like the nice area and all this shit, and it, it was just it was just fucked up. And then you go back to the south, and you know everybody's kind of poor anyway. There's a, there's a lot of really good stories I'd recommend people to check out from the set in that time period in the south. Uh, next up, I actually just read this, was that last month? Maybe the month before? Uh, this was on our African episode. This one got me interested. Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. The first historical fiction novel in the critically acclaimed African trilogy, 
Thing falls, Things Fall Apart examines the fallout that occurs after the British colonize an African village in the late 1800s. As President Barack Obama said, the book is a true classic of world literature, a masterpiece that has inspired generations of writers in Nigeria, across Africa, and around the world. My only problem with that book was the protagonist, and it's because it's set, like the time period it's set in. It's uh, like the African villages. It was more of like a one when it came to women, like you'd have multiple wives and lots of children, and it was kind of a a warrior deal. Like you know, you the bravest, you kill, and you're you don't show emotion, and you know you're just kind of a hard ass. Yeah. So the protagonist in the story was not likable, but everything else in the story was I found was really good. And it opened my eyes to a lot of, like, cool uh, African folklore I never heard before. So they got me interested in that. So that's definitely one I'd recommend for people to check out. Are you going to check out? Because they said that that was the first in a trilogy. Yeah, I was actually planning on uh, doing that this summer. I, I like to... I'm a not a mood reader, but a, a season reader. When it comes to, like, winter, I like to read, you know, your Jack London-type books or something depressing, like Russian literature. I like to, when it gets nice and sunny, that's when I'll get to some, uh, like, springtime, I'll get into some more Spanish-oriented literature than African literature in the summer. I like to space it out. Unlike you, who just goes, Stephen King, I'm gonna go murdery Stephen King in the winter and more, less murdery Stephen King in the summer. <laughs> now I'm proud of you. You've been reading some H.P. Lovecraft. I've been reading some H.P. Lovecraft. I've been reading some Conan. I, I can't wait to talk about Conan in the next book cast because I got some things to say. Ooh, yeah, the stories. It's getting a little, uh, it's a little different now. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> Though, you know, not to cut this episode in the middle here, but uh, they do have in the one story a quick... Um, it's only like a paragraph or two, but it was kind of interesting. Just a little bit of theology they threw in there, like the gods and stuff in Conan's yeah. world, and the, like what they believe the afterlife and stuff. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. But the rest of that story, man, I haven't got to the other ones. I'm, I was on, what was that? The Queen of the Black Coast. Yeah. That was uh, I just finished that last night. <laughs> I just do the old. <laughs> Next up, Americana. Oh no. This is where I get in trouble. You read that one. No. If you can't read it, why? how am I going to be able to read it? I just, I get, I got in trouble for mispronouncing African names in the past. I'll try it anyway. Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Americana, which is slated to become an HBO series, begin, oh, that's cool, begin, they're making like a lot of fucking quality series. Like, I like when they make series off of good books. Yeah. Not your fucking dog shit divergent hunger games twilight like they're making movies and shows off of good stuff now. i'm interested to um like i said i just finished you know stephen king and but i just finished the outsider and hbo is doing it that's too. really good uh, that's i'm waiting to there's a good chunk of episodes to, yeah I and, I, and i just finished it not too long ago i want to still give my, my, myself some time joe so, rogan was just talking about how awesome it is oh really yeah and he didn't he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that watches like Stuff like that, but he liked it, so... Anyway, Americana begins in Adichie's native country of Nigeria. Young, That's another thing I noticed. A lot of great African writers seem to come out of Nigeria. So, that might be something to worth checking out yeah. and see if there's, like, you know, Ethiopia or, Ni or uh, South America. Well, South America's kind of whitey town anymore. Yeah. Maybe, like, the Sudan or Congo or something. That'd be cool. Like, a Congolese writer 
Because a lot of basketball players come out of there, but I don't know how the literature... See, that's something we need to research, because it makes us fun. Because it's such a big fucking continent. Yeah. Because I know you get, like, a lot of, like, Egyptian writers and stuff like that, but there's so much of the, the continent that you, we just kind of gloss over. Like, when it comes to uh, movie making, TV shows, literature, like, anything creative. I mean, a lot of artists we recognize, like, you know, uh, different painters and stuff, but... Not to look into them. They do a separate episode on that. Americana begins in Adichie's native country in Nigeria. Young lovers Efemalu and Abenize are both determined to leave their military-ruled country. Life receives a scholarship to a college in America. Oh, Ife receives a scholarship to a college in America, and through Abenize had planned to follow her. Nine Eleven makes it impossible, and he instead becomes an undocumented immigrant in London, outside of Nigeria. Both must grapple with what it means to be black in the Western world and wondering if they'll ever return home and to one another. That seems like a really interesting uh, story because a lot of these stories are kind of, you know, dated back. And, like, that's the only problem is we can't really, like, relate to the, some of the messages coming through or what it would be like because we weren't alive. Yeah. You know, in the 30s or, you know, 50s even. But, like, this is a, you know, 9-11. We both lived through 9-11. Yeah. So did, like, See what it would be for an immigrant trying to come over here during 9-11, getting stuck in another country. Like, that would be really cool. I think that I'm going to have to put that on my list, too. The Selected Poems of Langston Hughes by Langston Hughes. One of the most famous black authors of the Harlem Renaissance, Langston Hughes was a poet, social activist, novelist, and playwright. He was one of the early innovators of jazz poetry, a style that has rhythms that feel improvised or evocative of jazz. If poetry is not for you, though you're missing out if you don't give Hughes' work a chance, we recommend reading his debut novel, Not Without Laughter. I have only ever read his poetry, and I like it, so uh, I would definitely want to check out his novels. I didn't know he was a playwright, too, though. That's pretty cool. You big Langston Hughes fan? Uh, read some of that Harlem Renaissance fiction? It's pretty cool. It's, I, it's, like, I feel like if you're going to read poetry, because you're not a poetry guy, yeah. that would be more your style. Because it's like, you know, one's kind of about city living and like, it's not about fucking, you know, fluttery butterflies yeah. and it's it's a little more hard hitting. Too, like imagine what Harlem was like back then too. Early half of the tw- uh, 20th century. It was probably rough. It's probably like Isn't a shithole. all of New York probably was? That's, except for like maybe Manhattan. Yeah, I do feel like most of New York just back in the day was rough. Because I mean like what the- Hell's Kitchen- <laughs> Well, like, like, I never watched, um, what was that Leonardo DiCaprio movie with, like, the Gangs of New York or whatever? Oh, uh, yeah. Kind of, or even, like, um... That was a good movie. Like, Boardwalk. Like, I watched the first couple of seasons of Boardwalk. Like, people just fucking getting whacked. They were, like, it just... Yeah. New York was fucked up. Like, Still fucked up. But Jersey. now it's kind of... It's more gentrified now. Yeah, it's kind of, like, what was more fucked up, New York or Chicago? I feel like I would rather live in New York, even back then, than Chicago. Yeah. Like, Chicago was just... All, like, you think of Chicago, you think of, like, Al Capone. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, a good place. It always made it seem like it was still kind of almost like the Wild West there back in the day. Kind of, yeah. Like, you just walk down the street shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, Flight to Canada by Ishmael Reed. With his magical realist novel, Mumbo Jumbo, Ishmael Reed became a powerful voice in the black literary canon. Flight to Canada is yet another game changer, with its parodic take on traditional slave narrative. The story takes place in an alternative Civil War era just as a disease infects slaves with the desire to flee their owners. 
Ravellin Quickskill is that's a cool name. Yeah. Ravellin Quickskill is one such slave, and he'll settle for nothing less than Canada. His journey is marked by a quirky combination of historical fact and 20th century modernities. Abe Lincoln and Xerox machines make appearances, <laughs> for example, which offers a unique but insightful view of slavery in America. That's one we definitely never, like, I haven't even really heard of it, like, as a genre, is, like, magical realism set in slave times. Like, that would be yeah. kind of cool. I don't know where the fax machine fits in, but, or the Xerox machine, but, uh. Fax machine was actually invented before the telephone. Did you know that? It's a weird one. No. Yeah. It's like really old, like 17, 1800s. Loving Her by Anne Allen Shockley. Anne Allen Shockley was the first African-American author to write about an interracial lesbian relationship. And she did so in this 1974 novel. Ooh, saucy. The protagonist, Renee, is an African-American mother and wife who is trapped in an abusive booze-addled marriage. A serendipitous meeting with Terry, a wealthy white woman, reawakens Renee's long-suppressed sexual identity and offers the escape she and her daughter need. Amidst the racist, homophobic slurs thrown their way, Terry and Renee find safety in each other's love, though they cannot keep tragedy from knocking at their door. That's fucking, in yeah. the 70s? Like, a black woman and a white woman in a gay relationship. That's like checking off all the boxes of like <laughs> what fucking white Americans hate like back in the day especially southerners there's no way she did not have a window that was not broken in her house that poor like that woman that book was real popular too like she definitely had uh, she, she definitely had some harassment come her way apologize if I fuck up this name it's got a hyphen in it any name that's got a hyphen always throws me off between the world and me by Tanehisi Coates. Tanehisi. 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 I I I should know this because this guy has been this guy has been doing comics for the past couple of years. I know I've heard of him, but I never actually heard his name out Tahisi. loud. Yeah, I thought yeah. Tanehisi. Apologies, Mister Coates. Written as a letter to his son, this nonfiction book by Tanehisi Coates is a meditation meditation on what it means to be black and dealing with racism in modern-day America. Coates' work has been deemed required reading by Toni Morrison and received multiple accolades, including the 2015 National Book Award. It's no surprise that Coates is considered one of the most iconic black authors ever published, or that his new fiction novel, The Water Dancer, was chosen for Oprah's Book Club list. Um, other than the Oprah's Book Club thing, cause I just... Yeah. Oprah's really gone downhill, man. Like, what the fuck happened to Oprah? She became, like, I mean, not, like, necessarily... Yeah, I think she's pretty hated even in the black community at this point. Like, you know, her dealings with, like, Harvey Weinstein. And, like, she drags black men. I don't know if you ever pay attention to these things. You're not really on black Twitter, but... No. Like, she always dragging black men. Like, any time they're going through anything. Like, Gail Kingdress was dragging Kobe Bryant. He's, like, he just died and she was... You know, because it's Oprah's not lover like whatever she is her friend yeah like Oprah defend you know she hangs out fucking was hanging out with harvey weinstein and all that shit but anytime a black celebrity comes under fire for something she just throws them right under the bus that's fucked up yeah so i'm not a big fan of the oprah there or her stupid book i didn't club. Even know she did a book book club still it's the most famous of the book clubs i don't know how it does it now it ain't as good as conan book club i can goddamn guarantee you that motherfucking conan Conan Book Club's where it's at. People aren't listening. They're missing out. Unexpected Stories by Octavia E. Butler. 
You've heard of Kindred and Parable of the Sower, Sower, but these Octavia Butler stories likely flew under your radar. In fact, they flew under the world's radar until they were featured in this two-part collection. The novella, A Necessary Being, follows a female of an endangered alien race who, due to her biological rarity, is forced into a leadership position. This is a status that comes with more loneliness than power, and her feelings of isolation impact her and her territory's futures. Meanwhile, the short story Child Finder charts the tumultuous mentee-mentor relationship between a young girl and a veteran telepath. Both are further reminders of Butler's skill as the storyteller and why she was such a prominent figure in science fiction. That seems like that'd be more up your alley. Yeah. Because some of these are like more classic literature and you're just... Not there yet. You want the fancy, fanciful stories. and the, the, Of course, that one magical realism story, that might be in there. Is that all of them? No. No, we got, we got like a couple more. 80 more. <laughs> Next up, White Teeth by Zadie Smith. English author Zadie Smith took the world by storm with her debut novel, which immediately became a bestseller and earned her comparisons to Charles Dickens, well, damn, Salman Rushdie, and John Irving. In the novel, Smith borrows from her own Jamaican heritage to create the character Clara Bowen, the tooth-challenged second wife of World War II veteran Archie Jones. A dazzling, this is a LA Times quote, a dazzling intergenerational first novel, wonderfully inventive, playful yet unaffected. Mongrel yet cohesive, profound yet funny, vernacular yet lyrical. Not to say anything about the book, but that's like the worst like quote review thing. Ever. Yeah, I, that was like a bunch of fucking. Like, what the fuck? That didn't tell me monk, anything. A bunch of gobbledygook. <laughs> it's this and that and everything in between. I didn't know vernacular had an R. <laughs> vernacular. I was those vernacular. I'm not that educated. Well, the book sounds cool. I don't know about yeah. that fucking dumbass quote, though. And they're good. Like, is it just because she is an English author that they're uh, comparing her to Charles Dickens? Because Dickens is very long and dry, like his writing style. So, I mean, just, I mean, I get it. he's one of the greatest, you know, authors of the time and stuff. But how many kids are out there reading Dickens and now? Like young kids, like how that? Yeah. Like I read uh, Great Expectations last year. And it was a really good book, but I could definitely see just throwing that in a fucking heap because <laughs> it is long and boring. And that man like clearly you, got paid by the word. Like if you got like like if you had a fireplace, like just throwing it in one. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, and I never read Solomon Rushdie, so I don't know. Uh, I read John Irving though. That's see, that's another thing that John Irving's not anything like Charles Dickens. I don't know where they come up with these fucking comparisons. Well, she writes like every great writer you know. Okay. Well, I mean, as you can tell by that 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 review, just um, a bunch of maybe she (laughs) maybe she writes just like Charles Dickens. I mean, I don't know. Next up, I know why the caged bird sings by Maya Angelou. No list of books by black authors is complete without a work by the. I always hate this word. No list. How do you say that word? Inimitable. Uh, inimitable. Inimitable. Yeah. I guess. No list of books by black authors is complete without a work by the inimitable author and poet Maya Angelou. Sorry. Inimitable. Just don't use that word. I got to fucking you know, sauce it up like, like that. Ha, I won't ever have to say this, so I'm just gonna throw a fancy word in here. Inimitable. It's the I and the N and the I and the M and the I. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Anyway, I know why the cage bird sings is often banned for its depictions of rape, racism, and sexuality. Really? Guys, I'm pretty sure like in my library book club or uh what was the book fair when I was a kid, I always saw that book on the shelves. And that was like in fucking elementary school. Well, that's back. We still was able to like free America, have things, yeah. Have things a little bit. Censorship wasn't. It was so like towards the end of our one where things kind of got you yeah. know dicey. However, it has stood the test of time because of its poetic and powerful prose, unflinching honesty, and unusual style that straddles the line between autobiography and fiction. Fucking dumbass school. Like, what? if it's something like that powerful, why are you gonna ban it? Stupid, dumb. Like, okay, I understand not wanting like out, like little kids to read it, but like in high school, like things like rape and stuff like that, those are real issues. Yeah, I mean, you can't just fucking wash them, you know, sweep them under the rug like they don't happen. But our sweet children, they can't know of the evil world. To Sir with Love by E. R. Braithwaite, the basis for the Sidney Poitier movie. I can never say his name fancy, Poitier. Mm. I forget who says it. I, like every time I see like whenever they would have an award, somebody would always say it real like French sound. I always feel like I'm like what's this say, place uh, or what's this face saying? Putty cat. Like, that, <laughs> that's how I get. <laughs> Was that Sylvester? Yeah, I think so. The basis for the Sydney Portier movie Two Sir with Love is Braithwaite's autobiographical novel about being a school teacher in 1940s London, presented with a roster of bigoted all white students. I had a mad, you know, I'll get to that in a second. Rick must go above and beyond the standard syllabus and educate his class on respect, racial equality, and open-mindedness. I always felt, like, even back, like, in the day, like, English racism would be, for some reason, like, more polite. Like, you know, you're in England, uh, and, the, you know, it's like little school children in England. Like, they're racist, but I feel like it would still sound way more polite than over here. Where over here, you just, like, the fucking racist assholes just throw out, you know, racial slurs and do, you know, heinous shit. Like, I feel like for the most part over there, they would be more, not tongue-in-cheek, but... It's different because they don't have... You know, like, because most of our, like, racism... Is our history. Yeah, is from our, our history. Yeah, it stems from our own history. So, like, and I think, like, I've heard it. I'm pretty sure I've heard it over there. Like, it's different. Like, it gets really, like, um, territorial. Like, not necessarily, like, racist, but, like, if you're, like, two blocks over, you're a fucking piece of shit because you <laughs> like a different soccer team that has a yellow shirt instead of a red shirt. Like, you know... <laughs> That's racism. That's, uh... It's uh, some other fucking dumb Well, that's thing. not just because, like, most... I mean, I know there's other races over there, but I think for the longest time, it was a lot of white people over there. Well, they're having, like, a problem like we are now with the fucking Boris Johnson and a bunch of, you know, emboldened racists now. So, again, though, I mean, we're just kind of stereotyping English people. I don't know if they're fucking polite. I don't know too many English people personally. We need to get Ash to tell us about racism and if he ever gets I, back on the internet again. I just got done listening to uh, Rogan, one of Rogan's new podcasts with the, um, his, like, Dale or something, but it's this piano guy who, like, converted, like... Oh, Daryl Dixon. Yeah. Yeah, that was excellent. That was a really good episode. Yeah, he's the guy, I think the Blank, Black Klansman movie's based off of him. He's the oh, guy really? who, uh, converted, he infiltrated the KKK, and he, uh, converted, like, 200 KKK members and Nazis. 
yeah. to not being racist anymore. But he didn't just like uh, they weren't just like lower level guys. They were like the wizards and grand yeah. wizards and all that dumb shit. And he did it by just talking to them, mm-hmm. just treating them like people and be like, "Hey, have you ever even talked to a black guy before?" Really? It's like, and then he would, you know slowly over time build not just their trust but like befriend them yeah and then they were like oh well this is fucking stupid he just educated them on you know black people aren't different i definitely recommend giving that a listen to especially if you like are interested in this kind of the kind of mm-hmm. subject matter we've been covering in this you know i wish that guy had his own podcast he sounds like uh neil degrasse tyson but not as pompous and douchey yeah like neil degrasse like maybe neil degrasse tyson before he was like real famous yeah um. Yeah, but that was that was really interesting. I was really excited when I saw that he was on there because I really wanted to hear that guy's story because I I've, I heard things like when that Black Klansman movie came out was when I became more aware of him and uh, I've read about him actually before. I've read a couple articles on him and stuff and I was like, really? They, like this guy did, but it was more like uh almost like just like a couple blurbs here and there and it was like one of those mean things. You'd be like, oh, Daryl Dixon, he converted. And you're like, well, that isn't that nifty. Like, that's cool that somebody could go do that. But he would he go to clan meetings and stuff. Like he didn't just like he was he was really putting himself in danger. Yeah. His yeah, that story that that was pretty crazy. Everybody should listen to that one. Lyndon Hills by Gloria Naylor. Gloria Naylor first burst onto the literary scene with her National Book Award winning debut, The Woman of Brewster Place. Its follow up, Lyndon Hills, is thematically similar, but it's also heavily influenced by Dante's Inferno. Oh, I'm in. That that's that sounds fucking cool. The title's namesake is an affluent, affluent uh, African American neighborhood where your geographical location at the top of the hill or at the bottom determines your status as a resident. So it's like Dante's Inferno with all the layers of hell, yeah. but it's like I, now I'm just assuming it would be like you know the poor class at the bottom, yeah. and then like kind of almost like a like a more generic version of that would be a. This is like the Raging Inferno or something. One of those tower movies. Or even like that Ray Wank, Wank book we just read yeah. where the rich people lived in the tower. But, you know, the higher up you went, which is kind of like Trump Tower, actually. The higher yeah. up you go, the more wealthy you are until yeah. it's just one person who owns the whole top. Yeah. That that would be fucking cool, though. Just see, like, you know, a neighborhood or something like that. I don't have to bookmark that one. Lyndon Hills. With Gloria Naylor. I also... Now, th- this is... Uh, I don't know what would be the best word to describe this. My, not nearsightedness, uh, weakness isn't the right word either, but where I fall short in my literary adventures is I have, I have not read really much. Like, novel-wise, I don't think I've read any female black authors. Like, I've read female Spanish authors, Mexican authors, like, the different things like that, but I don't think, I mean, I don't, I haven't read a lot of female authors in general because I, <clears throat> for the most part, I, you know, been working through, like, the classics and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, Jane Austen, like, that stuff never really interested me. Like I said, Toni Morrison's on my list. And, uh, I've read, no, I've read a lot of Japanese female authors, but I just, I have not gotten into some other ones. What about you? You, like, no, nope. I figured. Nope. Again, maybe it's just, like, a lot of the stories, too. Like, that story sounds really cool. But, like, a lot of the stories are... Again, going back to like Jane Austen and stuff, it's like about love and marriage and shit. I don't, I don't fucking care about that stuff. Uh, like I read that grotesque book, that was all right, but that was more about like fucking hookers and murder. Yeah. That was like a noir book, so that was cool. Yeah, so I, maybe that should be that'll be our goal, twenty twenty. At least books. read a, at least read a couple. Yeah. So maybe we'll pick one off of this list. 
That, that could also have something to do with, like, again, because I read a lot of classic literature. There's not a lot of classic... Uh, Female... Writers, yeah. Again, that weren't writing about fucking marriage and courtship and stuff. Or, like, you know, aristocrats or something. Yeah, like, what the fuck was Zelda Fitzgerald writing about? Fucking... I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> Drinking? I don't, I don't know what she wrote about. Though I do really like Maya Angelou's uh, poetry. She's one of my favorite poets. I probably like her more than Dylan Thomas, actually. All right. Anthony Burns by Virginia Hamilton. Virginia Hamilton was a prolific author whose biography biography truly ran the gamut. She was the first black author to win the Newbery Medal, an esteemed award for children's literature, though she also penned sci-fi books and the semi-historical fiction novel. Here she puts her own spin on the story of runaway slave Anthony Burns, whose battle against the Fugitive Slave Act eventually led to the Civil War. The autobiography of Malcolm X by Malcolm X and Alex Haley, touted as one of the ten most important nonfiction books of the century by Time Magazine. Well, that's a distinction. Jeez. Malcolm X's autobiography discusses more than just his own life. It's a history of the black Muslim movement. The most in... Uh, this is Spike Lee quote. The most important book I'll ever read. It changed the way I thought. It changed the way I acted. It has given me courage I didn't know I had inside me. I'm one of hundreds of thousands whose lives were changed for the better. Um, how many more on here? There is a bunch and we're already an hour in, so you know what? Should we do a two-parter or should we just cut this short, Spencer? What do you feel like doing, sir? You're the man with the keyboard. Well, just so I'm not leaving anybody hanging, I'll at least read the titles of the next ones and we'll decide what to do later. We have Babel 17 by Samuel R. Delaney. We have The Famished Road by Ben Oakry. We have Mama by Terry McMillan. Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which is one of my all-time favorite novels. SOS by Amiri Baraka. Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin. Sing, Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward. And that is it. I think we will do a two-parter because those is like almost half of the list left. Yeah. Ugh. That'll give us at least a short episode to record next time we do one of these. Yeah. We won't have too many to cover, but because, you know, obviously I want to talk about Invisible Sun. And I do want to mention, I didn't see Native Sun on that, or Invisible Man, but I didn't see Native Sun on that list, which is, yeah, I enjoy that more yeah, than Invisible Man. I mean, I get what Invisible Man, why that was so important, but Native Son was more entertaining. It was action-packed, and I feel like, and then again, I told you before about, like, the giant lecture kind of at the end, so maybe that's what threw people off. And also the subject matter, like, whereas Invisible Man is through, you know, a black American man in that time period, or like, what he was going through and what it was like. Native son was like a more about like the criminal black man, almost a stereotype. So maybe I can see why people wouldn't, but it, but it showed why he was the way, like why he was a criminal, why yeah. he was the way he was, because, you know, like I said before about, it was, I think that was set in Chicago, how they were like, the city was separated and they were in the poor area and you know, shit like that. We'll get into that when we go over that episode, but if, what was that called again? Early bird books. Yes. If you yes. folks want to check that out, it's in the show notes. That was earlybirdbooks.com, 26 must-read books by black authors. Um, if you want to check out what we're doing, and if you want to see what, uh, you know, you want to join in on the Conan fun, Conan Bookcast, you can go over to 
drunkenpenwriting.com, and we, I post those every Monday, the, the stories you read in that collection. And I post free versions we you can read in the links there. So if you check that out, you can read the stories for free, and I also put a YouTube video for each story so you can start off. It's like part one or what? Because they're, they're not long, but... These ones are getting in a little bit longer yeah, than... But the, the audio versions, yeah, it takes a little bit to get through. But uh, I post those as well if you're, you know, you want to listen to them. And, uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to follow us, my babies. You don't have to read along with this. You can go back, read at your own time, yeah. and listen to the episodes when you're good and ready. Because they'll be here. Yeah, and this bookcast are every Friday. I guess it really doesn't matter. We're going to Detroit this weekend. Yeah. Hey, going to see some nasty skanks or whatever's in Detroit. I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> but this episode will be out next week, so I guess by the time you're listening to this, we you'll back. find out if we're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, per- if you hit, if this gets posted, we survive. Yeah. And that's not saying anything about the nice city of Detroit, but our Fleabag Motel might be applicable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't book the fine. I didn't book the Marriott. Which is like I didn't, you know, I didn't get the Ritz here. I hope the area looks like it's maybe safe. I don't know. I, I like I said, I've never been to the Detroit area, so we'll find out how that goes. Um, if you want to bother us on the old Twitter, you can go to Drunken Penwriting. What are we at Drunk Penwriting? And uh, Instagram is at Drunken Penwriting. And then you can go to Facebook, Drunken Penwriting, and tell us. In the long, lengthy, girthy paragraphs about how sexy our voices are and how much you love the podcast. Or, conversely, tell us how much you dislike us and how much we suck and, you know, all that fun stuff. Good? Yeah. No, no. I was I, I was thinking about trying to find a way to work in a joke about the, about the, the, all the nasty comments on the article, but then I couldn't. Uh, yeah, Spencer, he... Uh, his fucking unnecessarily popular, stupid viral Marvel <laughs> article, or his uh, superhero article that he wrote, like, what, a year ago? What did you write no, that year? Two that, Whenever we, like, that was one of the first things we published, I think. That was, like, within so it's the a couple first years couple old, and it's still, every goddamn day gets at least, like, 100 views or something, and it always is getting these fucking angry, angry nerds commenting on it. I don't know why. They get so mad, because they don't, I mean, no, we're not even going to that. You folks have a... <laughs> Lovely time in your lives, and we'll catch you next time. We need, uh, before we say goodbye, we need a goddamn catchphrase to uh, end these episodes. Yeah. Like, you know, Ron Burgundy, stay classy, San Diego. Yeah. We need something like that. Fuck off, dickbags. No, that's, that's <laughs> too hard. Uh, Shart and hard. No, <laughs> no. Uh, See, I, I we'll, we'll come up with I one later. Catching free, uh, catchphrase was us just rambling into not until we just stop. I yeah, that but was our every time I edit these, I listen to that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. We'll come up with something maybe one day. Until then, bye. Bye.